gavel-to-gavel coverage of the Nora Salomon trial and the countless errors that were made that could have prevented the Pulse nightclub shooting. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist on Renegade Talk Radio. I'm a psychiatrist, and I'm here to help you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Well, I'm back, uh, and I'm, I hope you're happy that someone is covering the Nora Salomon trial gavel to gavel, because if you're just watching the mainstream media, you might not know that it is still going on. This is something that is just driving me crazy, and it's not nice to drive the psychiatrist crazy. Uh, this is the most important uh, trial of this century, and um, we, instead of throwing terrorism under the rug, pretending, trying to, uh, you know, what, protect us like we're little babies, uh, little snowflakes, um, who, you know, can't deal with the fact that every day there are terrorists plotting, not only in the Middle East, but all over the world, including in America, to bring down, bring down the West. So when a wife of um, the uh, Pulse nightclub terrorist goes on trial, I think that that should be where our country, where our own attention is spent um, and not on, not on some of the most ridiculous things that are um, otherwise in the news. Uh, such as Justin Bieber and who he's with, which blonde bombshell he's with now instead of Selena and all of that stuff. This is what is really important. So now uh, we're talking about the um, Orlando Pulse nightclub shooting massacre that occurred on June 12, 2016, between 2 and 5 a.m., Omar Mateen, uh, killed 49 people and injured 58 people. At that time, that was the biggest uh, massacre in the United States uh, until the Las Vegas shooting by Stephen Paddock. And uh, the jury is still out as to whether or not he's a terrorist. And I am um, certainly con concerned and hoping that there will be enough of investi enough investigation to uh, look at the possibility that he was, in fact, a terrorist. I'm not just talking about a domestic terrorist. I mean a radical Islamist terrorist, uh, having been radicalized as Omar Mateen was. Uh, the 911 calls between Omar Mateen and the 911 operator from the Pulse nightclub are amazing. Uh, in it, he pledges his loyalty to ISIS. Uh, there is no question that he is doing this killing on behalf of ISIS. Now, the trial that's um, taking place in Orlando of his wife, Nora Salomon, uh, has been going on since, um, since, well, testimony began on March 14th. But before that, uh, there was jury selection, which was actually quite a difficult or a time-consuming process 
because, of course, in, in Orlando, so many of the people uh, who were potential jurors had friends who um, were friends of victims of the nightclub shooting or who were in some way connected to it or certainly had even more than the rest of the country were um, exposed to a lot of media coverage of it and walked by the Pulse nightclub uh, for their, you know, during their daily life. So it was hard to pick. And I hope that they did uh, get a jury that is going to be able to be uh, objective. Now, the uh, testimony began March 14th. The um, Nor is being accused of aiding and abetting the teen's allegiance to the Islamic State. And the second charge is obstruction of justice because she lied to them at the beginning of the questioning uh, hours after the attack. And uh, she pled not guilty and she is facing up to life in prison. So um, the, the trial has gone on. We, I talked in my last um, podcast, I talked about where it had gone up to then. Um, today, believe it or not, um, the prosecution is being expected to rest, other than closing arguments, of course, which come after the defense pr um, presents their case. But I, this is very concerning to me because um, I, I mean, yes, they have uh, provided a lot of, of testimony, emotional testimony. I talked in my last podcast about how they uh, presented to the jury of the videos from inside the Pulse nightclub, which were incredibly heart-wrenching um, and emotional. And, but why they are doing such a short um, presentation um, unless they're trying to not have it get too far from this, um, these emotional videotapes. But in any case, um, what I don't think or I haven't found uh, that they have been doing is presenting any of these 911 calls. I could be wrong, or maybe it's just not being reported, but, um, and I will look into that for you, but those calls don't leave any question as to whether he was, who he was doing this for, um, and that is the Islamic State, who he pledged allegiance to. So, um, <laughs> nor, um, so far, she on the first day is when they is when they had the uh, they had some witnesses who talked about one witness talked about hiding under a dead body for three hours as the shots were going on. An Orlando police detective uh, choked up on the stand talking about this, and um, there was the video as I said, and then the next day there was more video, and um, Nora wouldn't look at her husband lying dead on the screen in the video. She turned away. And there was, in that video, one of the videos that they showed, um, the teen was opening fire. I mean, it actually showed him opening fire, so there's no question that he did it. Um, and he was shooting at people already motionless on the dance floor. I mean, you know, which shows particular cruelty. Uh, then he went to the restroom and he was shooting people hiding in the bathroom stalls. I mean, that, you know, both of these things just show real a real lack of humanity, to say the least. Then on March 18th, 
her defense team filed a motion asking the judge to ban the prosecution from using any damning statements the widow may have made to an FBI agent about Mateen's plan. Now, I don't know how they thought that was going to fly. Um, and then, because of course, her statements, um, is the, as well as the video showing, showing his doing it for, on behalf of ISIS, well, um, and showing him, you know, showing him uh, committing the crime and so on. And, um, and the, her statements, which she signed and initialed uh, for the, after she spent many hours talking to the FBI, those, of course, really are the crux of the case, showing that she did know about what he was going to do. Um, then the next day, so, so March 19th, an FBI special agent testified um, about the statement that she gave him the night he questioned her about the shooting. And he was reading her note. She said, I'm, I'm sorry for what happened. I wish I'd go back and tell his family and the police what he was going to do. So she admits that she knew what he was going to do. I mean, there are plenty of other things that show that as well, um, such as video and, and cell phone, um, uh, cell phones that show that she was with him in places when they were casing the joints, except that now, uh, now um, it's come out that there apparently seems to be missing, missing uh, a cell phone evidence that she was with him near the the Pulse nightclub, although her her notes say that she was, and I'll, I'll tell you what she said. So, of course, the defense is trying to say that what she agreed to, even in her own handwriting, what she agreed to, uh, she was just saying these things under pressure, saying that the FBI, you know, she, first of all, didn't read her her Miranda rights, and then didn't give her a chance to have a lawyer, and that, you know, that's why they were trying to get these things thrown out, of course. Um, but fortunately, uh, the judge did not let that happen. When we come back, we'll be talking about Noor Solomon's statements. In her own hands, she essentially uh, incriminated herself. So stay tuned. You're listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio. Welcome back to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Now, listen, uh, I know that the defense is trying to say that uh, Nora Salomon was under undue <laughs> pressure when she was being questioned for hours by the FBI, while some of which was while um, her husband, um, Omar Mateen, was still shooting up the Pulse nightclub. And um, she, she has written things in her own handwriting, and she um, also signed them, initialed them. You know, I don't know what more she could have done with them except write them in her own blood. But um, she said, um, when I went to the Orlando, when, when I went to Orlando with Omar last week, we drove around the Pulse nightclub after we ate at the Arabic restaurant. We drove around the Pulse nightclub for about 20 minutes with the windows of the car down. Omar was driving slowly, looking around, and at one point stated, how upset are people going to be when it gets attacked? Then on Friday, June 10th, 2016, late night, Omar 
was looking at a website for the Pulse nightclub. And when I saw what he was looking at, he said, this is my target. I knew that the time to attack the club was close. Now, she also wrote, um, I know he was talking about how, about himself doing the above. Uh, that's actually in a different handwriting. But um, in any case, <laughs> this, is, this is handwriting, this is her, and, and she was questioned for hours um, in which she, although she gave conflicting testimony, the gist of it, the overall gist of it, showed that she knew what was going on. Now, um, she, uh, on March 20th at the trial, getting back to the trial, there was this whole, um, there were um, looking at text messages and between the couple. And particularly, well, that actually, that, no, that was about, on March 20th, the mother of the friend Nemo testified. And she discussed the relationship between Omar and Nemo. And uh, she said her son was nowhere, he wasn't in Orlando at the time and hadn't been with the team. And then on March 21st, that's when they um, looked through his browser history, Omar's, and they found ISIS propaganda, beheading videos. Uh, they also flipped through photos inside his home. You know, the, um, these beheading videos obviously were very provocative, very instrumental, not only with Omar Mateen, but that is what terrorists uh, drown themselves in. There have been reports, of course, of many other terrorists, like the one talking about Florida, the one who um, shot up the, uh, or, or attacked the uh, Fort Lauderdale airport. And he had been watching uh, ISIS videos and claiming that actually it was the, it was that he was hearing voices from the uh, FBI and CIA and so on telling him to watch these videos, you know, making him do it. So um, they, were, they read in court the final text messages between the couple. So Salman texted Mateen twice during his, his um, standoff with police in the nightclub saying, where are you? And he responded, you heard what happened. And she responded with question marks. And then she said, what happened? And then he wrote, I love you, babe. And this was in his last text message at 429 in the morning. And she wrote, Habibi, what happened? And that's an Arabic term of endearment. And she said, she wrote, your mom said that she said to come over and you never did. Now, Either, I mean, of course, the defense is going to try to use these texts to say, you see, she didn't know what was happening. She's asking him what happened. Where is he? But um, either this was clearly done to um, try to make it seem for afterwards that she didn't know, or um, that she wasn't sure that it was exactly that moment that uh, he was in the nightclub, shooting up the nightclub. Um, but surely, according to her statements, her hours of statements to the FBI, she did know. Um, then today, the jurors, well, you might be hearing this on another day. So March 22nd, the jurors watched security footage of Noor Salomon standing by her husband's side with their young son close by as he bought ammunition at Walmart. And she said, 
um, this was a this is what she said to the FBI and, and yet the, the prosecution provided transcribed statements to jurors of what she said to the FBI. So she said, I knew Omar was preparing for jihad when he bought the rifle, was going to the range to shoot, was spending a lot of money and bought the ammunition. I saw these things as a green light for Omar to do an act of violence. I mean, these are not things that, um, this, these are very, these ring true. This, these are not things that are said by somebody who doesn't know what she's talking about. So, um, so hopefully the jurors are coming to that conclusion that indeed she does deserve life in prison. Now, I was, you know, I've, I've been spending a lot of time, of course, uh, studying this case, both when it happened in June 2016 and now through this trial. And I came across something that, um, that I somehow I had missed before, but it, it's, it's so uh, pertinent now. I mean, I think at the time it probably uh, didn't seem as especially relevant as it does now with what happened at Parkland High School uh, with Nicholas Cruz and all the steps that were missed there, all the warnings that were missed and so on. And um, apparently, when Omar Mateen um, was started working for a as a security guard for G4S Secure Solutions, which is a British-based security form, firm um, in Florida, and he worked as for them from September 2007 until he died in the Pulse nightclub, and. Um, you know how, well, I, I've talked, look at my previous podcast, I've talked about Nicholas Cruz and all the warning signs that were missed, um, notably the warning signs in regard to his mental health and how if he had been hospitalized against his will, um, Baker acted, he wouldn't have been able to get guns in the first place. Similarly, with Omar Mateen, uh, when he was hired by the security company, uh, under Florida state law, security companies are supposed to screen their armed guards. And they're supposed to either make a full psychiatric evaluation or to administer a validated written psychological test. Now, quite frankly, I think they should, um, I think security guards, armed security guards, should be required to have both, just like the police are. Uh, but, you know, it's clearly cheaper to have a person fill out a psychological test than it is to have them have a full psychiatric evaluation with a psychiatrist. And so that's what they did. They gave him the MMPI-2. That's a test that I give, um, have given countless times. And what you're supposed to do, the best way to, um, to uh, see, to, to evaluate the results of this test uh, is to send it to a place called Caldwell. Um, they do these, they do a, a computer analysis of these, um, the results of the test. The test is a paper and pencil test. You know, you fill out computer scored paper and um, they put together amazingly accurate pictures. They send a narrative that describes the person amazingly well. Now, as I will talk about in the next segment, 
if they had done this properly, uh, they would have realized that Omar Mateen was not someone who they want to give a gun to uh, and tell them to be a security guard or give a gun, gun to altogether. So when we come back, I will tell you about all the um, screw up that this uh, security firm did and how Omar was allowed to get the gun. So stay tuned. You're listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio. Welcome back to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Well, I promised to tell you about how the security firm screwed up. Actually, they didn't just screw up with Omar Mateen's psychological test by not having a real psychiatrist uh, evaluate the results of the test or <laughs> and, and not having someone who knows what they're doing evaluate the results. But it turns out that when um, this was finally investigated, <laughs> uh, presumably after the um, Pulse nightclub massacre, they discovered that the, between 2006 and 2016, so for 10 years, this company submitted 1,514 forms, 1,514 forms, listing a psychologist who hadn't been working for the company since 2005. Let me tell you the story. So, um, now this MMPI-2 is a personality test, uh, Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory 2. And um, there are, you know, the, the good thing, one of the good things about the test is that it, you can't fool it. If you're trying to make yourself seem sicker or less sick or whatever it is that you're trying to fool it with, it has internal um, checks and balances. Uh, so it's a pretty reliable test. Now, they... Um, and, and it's not obvious, really, how the questions combine with each other, you know, what is, what, how they're going to come out. It's, it's pretty tricky. You can't really fool the test, bottom line, unless you don't have a real person analyzing the test, like Omar Mateen did not have a real person, a real psychiatrist or a psychologist analyzing the test. So this woman, Carol Noodleman, um, was listed on the character certification submitted by this security firm to the state. And, um, she, and she is the one who stopped working for the firm before they submitted Omar's test uh, and the other 1,514 tests since then. Um, in fact, she has, uh, you know, after this, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, I can only imagine. If that were my name on as certifying his test, and then it turns out that he is a terrorist who um, commits a horrendous massacre, I mean, you just, you know, that, that's, and the whole world gets to hear that it was you when it wasn't you. I mean, that's, that's just uh, incredibly, that could be career-destroying. Uh, in any case, um, she has denied ever meeting him or having lived in Florida at the time that he took the test. And she said she stopped her practice in Florida in January 2006, and he was hired in 2007. So um, also, he wasn't actually ever interviewed by a psychologist. And supposedly, um, the, he, he was evaluated 
by the firm that bought Noodleman's practice, which is called Headquarters for Psychological Evaluation, owned by a Dr. Joanne Balling. But it is not clear that Dr. Balling did anything, really. Um, and in, instead, um, it turned out that the, he had a family physician who was also the imam of the Fort Pierce Mosque that he went to. This family physician was named Dr. Syed Shafiq Rahman, and uh, he had close ties to Mateen's family, and he gave him a medical clearance. Now, this uh, is the mosque that Omar and his family went to, and um, the, this uh, imam, this doctor imam, <laughs> um, said that Mateen had become more reclusive um, as it got closer to the Florida nightclub uh, massacre. And he didn't speak to other congregants before or after the services. However, he still uh, gave him a medical clearance for this security guard. And um, now the, subsequently, you know, af after the Pulse shooting, this security form admitted that um, Mateen's form had a, what they're calling a clerical error on it, you know, notably by saying that it was this woman who wasn't even in Florida at the time. And, he clarif and they clarified that instead he had been cleared by Rahman, who was from the same firm that bought the wrongly named doctor's practice. So <laughs> Rahman is a very busy guy. Um, he's involved with this, I don't know, you know, what a family physician is doing evaluating psychological tests is um, is not clear and fam I can tell you you need special training to if you're not gonna if you're not gonna um, even if you are if you know they didn't send it to a to a well-respected uh, firm that analyzes these tests and um, to have a person who is not a psychologist not a psychiatrist uh, analyze the results of this test um, is just is just beyond inappropriate. They are not trained in that. It's very it's a very complicated. Um, you have to know how to you know it, it takes a long time to learn how to analyze these tests. And I can tell you that family physicians are not trained in MMPIs. Um, so they so what they did was. Um, the, the security firm um, removed Mateen from his job post, at, not because of the test, but because he had made threats towards co-workers, um, including one threat where he claimed he would have Al-Qaeda kill a deputy's family. And he claimed that uh, the, his co-workers and courthouse deputies were making racist comments towards him. But they kept, even though he made these kinds of threats, you know, al mentioning Al-Qaeda and all, um, this security form, firm kept him as an employee, but moved him to a kiosk at a gated community in Palm Beach County. However, they never told this community about why he was being transferred there. So he had an active concealed carry permit, 
and an armed security guard license. And he was apparently a, a proficient shooter. He scored at or above the 98th percentile with a nine, with a nine millimeter semi-automatic pistol. And, um, you know, clearly, I mean, these are the kinds of mistakes. And, and I am, it just makes me, as a psychiatrist, it makes me outraged, similarly to how outraged I am at the therapists who missed all of the um, signs that uh, Nicholas Cruz needed to be hospitalized against his will. And they're now, by the way, uh, they have hospitalized, I don't know for how long, but they took him for, to a, a hospital, uh, the brother of Nicholas Cruz, who trespassed on the um, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School that Nicholas Cruz had um, committed the school shooting at. Um, and clearly, you know, clearly his brother is a danger um, as well because he has now, he's, he's so, he's talked about how uh, Nicholas has become so famous because of what he did. Clearly he's, uh, he's having some, some sibling envy and thinking about doing these kinds of things himself. So I don't know how long they're going to be able to keep him in a psychiatric hospital or return him to one if they have let him out. But he is certainly someone who has to be watched very carefully. So these are the kinds of mistakes. It's not, you know, to stop school shootings or, or to stop terror attacks. The answer isn't um, to, to ban guns. The answer is to first fix up all the the um, inaccuracies, all the mistakes of the institutions that we count on, from the FBI to the security firms to, um, to therapists in the hospital. So thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carroll, your terrorist therapist.